Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 22. We're working our way through the book of 1 Samuel here on Wednesday nights. And uh, we found David in our study last time on the run, running from King Saul. And we saw where he had a, a momentary lapse of judgment and lapse in faith, where he runs to the right place. He runs to Nob in the place there where the priest congregated for worship. But it's there in the right place that he does the wrong thing. And he ends up lying to the priest Ahimelech and uh, saying that he was on a mission from Saul. And he gets Goliath's sword and he gets some bread and he's talking about how he has these men with him. And, and he's just totally kind of reacting in the flesh at this time. And, and then it gets even worse because he runs from the, the place of worship to the world. And he ends up there as he runs to Gad, the country of the Philistines, the land of Goliath of all places. And we, we noted what a, you know, comical thing that would be. I mean, here he is. He's coming with Goliath's sword that he used to cut off Goliath's head and he's coming to Goliath's hometown and expecting to be welcomed, you know, like a real brainstorm there. And, uh, you know, granted, they, they, you know, right away were like, you know, hey, this is the guy that killed Goliath. And, and so he pretends to be mad. He pretends to be crazy. Trying to find refuge in the world, David alters his behavior. And I want you to know that's always the case. It's always the case whenever you or I try to find refuge, when we try to be refreshed in the world, in fleshly pursuits, know this, our behavior is going to be altered big time in a big time way. And we saw that that happened with David and he comes to his senses and he runs from there. And then we saw in chapter 22 that God blessed David by bringing, first of all, his family to him. And David takes care of his mom and dad by sending them to Moab. And if you remember, David's grandmother was from Moab, Ruth, the Moabitess. And so he sends his mom and dad there to seek a safe place of refuge for his mom and dad. And then God brings to David some companions. A rough group of guys at first. We read there in the first part of chapter 22 that it was a group of 400 men who were in debt, in distress, and discontent. I mean, it was a shabby group that God was bringing to, to David, but it was from this group of ragtag renegades, these guys that just had, you know, an issue with the world and an issue with Saul and an issue with everything that these guys would end up being turned into mighty men of valor, men that God would use in an incredible way. And it was from there, the time that they spent with David, that this transformation would take place. Well, we pick up in verse six of chapter 22, and the focus once again shifts now to Saul. And in these verses here in chapter 22, what we see about Saul is that Saul is a picture of the carnal man, of, of the fleshly man. We, we see from Saul's example the problems of leaning to your own understanding. Saul creates a mess here. And Saul's men, because of this, are becoming disenchanted with him. But it's also in this chapter that we see the consequences of David's sin, the deceit and lying that happened there in Nob. And what we find is that the consequence of sin is that people always get hurt. But then as we move into chapter 23, we're going to see a contrast a contrast between David and Saul. And I think these two chapters taken together create a real powerful picture because in Saul we see this picture of the carnal man, of the fleshly man. But, but in 1 Samuel 23, we see this picture of David, of the spiritual man, the man who is walking in the Spirit, the man who's being led by the Spirit. And the result of it is that David's men, unlike the men of Saul who are becoming disenchanted with Saul, David's men are growing in their respect for who he is. So we pick it up in verse 6 of chapter 22. It says, When Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, 
Saul was staying in Gibeah under the tamarisk tree in Ramah with his spear in his hand, note that, and all of his servants standing about him. Now, here we see that Saul is becoming this spear-holding maniac. You recall it was with that spear that Saul tried to pin David to the wall. Not once, not twice, but I think it was three different times. Three different times he tried to pin David to the wall with that spear. And then he threw that spear also at his son Jonathan because he thought you know, that Jonathan had teamed up with David and was against him. And so now we see Saul, he's with his men and he's just kind of got that spear you know, in his hand all the time. And I think it was probably the intimidating thing. It's like the guys were wondering, okay, who's going to throw at next? Everybody's on their toes because they know the king's getting a reputation. You know, he likes to throw that spear. And that's where we find Saul at this particular time. Verse 7, it says, Then Saul said, to his servants who stood about him. Here now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, speaking here of David. Verse 8, he says, all of you have conspired against me and there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. There is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. And here we see some further proof of Saul's delusion. Notice he says there in verse 8, all of you have conspired against me. Saul's starting to think that everyone, he's becoming paranoid, is out to get him. Everyone is against him. And he makes mention here of, of he's blaming all of his problems on Jonathan when he, when he says that, you know, it was my son who stirred up my servant against me. And now he's saying, look, this all started because Jonathan stirred up David against me. Saul is becoming disillusioned. And this is what happens. It's the common trait of the carnal man, of the fleshly man, is that they become deluded, disillusioned in their perception. And Saul's disillusionment here is that he thinks that, that everybody is out to get him, that everyone is against him. Saul doesn't know who he can trust. But here's the thing. Saul's problem wasn't that everybody in the kingdom was against him. Most weren't. Saul's problem was that God was against him. That was Saul's problem. That God had pulled the reins. He tore the kingdom. He prophesied through Samuel that the kingdom would be torn from him and given to another, a man who was after his own heart. And as we've noted before, Saul's just grabbing on for dear life. He's wanting to hold on. He's wanting to strive in the flesh. And instead of dealing with his sin, instead of trying to get right with God, Saul is completely self-focused here. He's like, man, no one feels sorry for me. I mean, what? I mean, this is the king speaking. I mean, it's like a pity party here. You know, no one feels sorry for me. Everything's going wrong. My son's stirring up my servant against me. And that's what's happening to Saul. It's that poor me syndrome. And that is always a byproduct. Always the characteristic of the man who is focused on the flesh, the carnal man. There's that self-focus. We pick it up in verse 9. Then answered Doag the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul. Now, remember, we met Doag in chapter 21. He was at Nob. He heard David's meeting with the priest. And we learned there that he was the chief of the king's herdsmen. He's in this man, even though he's not an Israelite, He's an Edomite. He's really a heathen. And he's in this place of, of position there. And he says, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, to the son of Ahiatub. And he inquired of the Lord for him. Now, this was a lie because Ahimelech the priest didn't inquire of the Lord. And he says, and he gave him provisions and he gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. And so the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahiatub, 
and all of his father's house and the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, son of Ahiatub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me? Here he goes again. Now it's not just the soldiers, it's not just his son, but now it's even the priesthood. They've all conspired against him. You and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day. So Ahimelech answered the king and said, and who among all your servants is as faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law, who goes at your bidding and is on Honorable in your house. Now, you have to love Ahimelech here. Ahimelech, I mean, he's speaking the voice of the Lord here to Saul. And that's one of the things as you go through the story here of Saul is that God continues time and time and time again to give him warnings, to give him words, to try to get his attention, to try to shake him up. And and isn't that so much the Lord? Haven't you found in your life when you start to get out of the way, when you start to kind of get out of sorts, or as my friend Peter McKenzie puts it uh, over there in England, when you start to get upside down, you know, as it goes in your relationship with the Lord, that that he's always speaking to you. You know, there's the voice of the guy on the radio. There's the voice of the friend on the phone. There's the voice of the, 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 the word there in some book that you're reading or maybe even on a billboard as you're driving. And God just constantly, because he loves us, wanting to get our attention. And that's what he's doing here with Saul. He's speaking through Ahimelech and he's saying, look, David, he's the most faithful and the most honorable of all the servants that you have. Saul should have heeded this word. But the problem with the flesh is it only sees what it wants to see. And here we see Saul is very twisted in his perspective. Ahimelech continues in verse 15. He says, did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father. For your servant knew nothing of all of this, little or much. Ahimelech saying, look, I'm innocent in this matter. I I didn't know that, that there was anything wrong with you and David, because from my perception, and I think the perception of most in Israel, I mean, he was the most faithful, most honorable servant that you had, and he's your son-in-law. Why would there be this dispute? Does Saul listen? Verse 16. And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Saul is not listening because he's sick with jealousy. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, it says the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Saul is acting very foolish here. He's not heeding the voice of the Lord. He's doing what is right in his own eyes. He's being foolish. And then the king said to the guards who stood, verse 17, about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because their hand also is with David. And because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priest of the Lord. At least someone here has some sense. And these guys are stirred and there's no way that they are going to strike God's anointed men. Now, I want you to note there that in verse 17, Saul declares, turn and kill the priests of the Lord. And then later on there, it says that the the servants, the soldiers wouldn't kill the priests of the Lord. Everyone knows these guys, hey, they're the priests of the Lord. But Saul He doesn't care. His soldiers, they do. But he doesn't care. He knows, hey, these are God's guys. He should have, if they were in the wrong, he should have been willing to say, okay, I'm going to let God deal with them. But he doesn't do that. Verse 18. And the king said to Doag, here's this heathen guy, you turn and kill the priest. And so Doag the Edomite turned and struck the priest and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. 
and also Nob, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women and children and nursing infants and oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. This is brutal savagery here that is taking place. Brutal savagery that is happening as Doeg takes matters into his own hands. And you know what? There's always a godless Doeg around to do evil. He had no business in these matters. He shouldn't even have been in that position that he was in as being the, the king's herdman, herdsman because he was an Edomite. And, and here, he's ready to just take matters into his own hands. And here we see the consequences to David's lie. David got someone else involved here in this matter. And the result is that innocent people got hurt. And listen, that is always the problem with sin. Innocent people get hurt. It's always the problem with, with whether it's gossip, whether it's lying, whether it's deceit. Whatever it might be, the, the problem is whether it's in your words or in your lifestyle is that innocent people get hurt. And I tell you, my heart just grieves over this because unfortunately, in the position that I'm in, I have to clean up a lot, the hurt. I see the lives that have been wrecked and destroyed by deceit or by gossip or by somebody's false actions, somebody's immorality or carnality. Listen, men and women and children, innocent people are always affected. And that's what happens here. The family of the priest, all of them, all of the priest's families, they're massacred. But God always leaves a remnant. And that's what happens here. We pick it up in verse 20. It says, Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahiatub, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. And so David said to Abathar, I knew that day when Doag the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me and do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. What a heartbreaking revelation this must have been to David. To hear these words and to know that his sin caused the death. Now, it was Saul's sin that really, you know, he was the one that issued the hit. You know, he was the one who told Doag to, to go about, you know, doing this, but these guys became involved all because of David's falsehood. And how this must have broke his heart as he saw the consequences of his sin. But it seems that this event had a profound impact upon David's life. Because as we enter into chapter 23, David changes his way of doing things dramatically. And in this chapter, David becomes a wonderful example of a man walking in the spirit. We pick it up in verse one, chapter 23. It says, then they told David, saying, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah. And they are robbing the threshing floors. Now, Keilah was a city in the lowland areas of Judah, and they were being ransacked by the Philistines. Now, what we note here, and if you're taking notes, is I want you to, to mark several things of, that we see here in David that are, that are the marks of walking in the Spirit. And the first thing that we see, number one, is that he has a genuine concern for others. He has a genuine concern for others. You see, the people in the city of Keilah, they, they weren't David's problem. They were Saul's problem, really. They were part of... You know, Saul's kingdom. It would have been easy for David at this point in time to say, you know, what? I have enough problems of my own. I'm on the run. I got all these new, you know, guys to take care of that are in debt and in distress and they're discontent and I'm babysitting all of them. You know, I've got enough problems of my own here. I don't need to worry about Keilah. I don't need to worry about what's happening over there. I don't need to worry about what's going on. It would have also been easy for David to criticize Saul at this point. 
for him to start complaining to the other guys. Why isn't Saul taking care of his people? What's the deal with him, man? These guys are being ransacked. These guys are being taken advantage of. And what what is Saul doing? But because David was a man after God's own heart, when he hears that God's people are suffering, he grieves and he wants to help. He's concerned. He's concerned. So what did David do? Verse two, it says, therefore, David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? Here we see the second mark of a man who is walking in the spirit and being led by the spirit is that he will be a man who inquires of the Lord. First, he's a man who has a concern for others. Secondly, he's a man when he sees the need, he inquires of the Lord. I ask you, what do you do when you see a problem? What's your mode of operation when you see a problem in the fellowship, when you see a problem in the family, when you see a problem maybe amongst your friends, do you complain? Do you begin to criticize? You know, in the church, there are lots and lots. And when I say in the church, I'm not just talking about our church, but the church in general. There are lots and lots of opinionated people who are eager to voice their opinions, who are eager to, to, to point out problems, who are eager to criticize. You know what? I can do that with the best of them. I can complain and criticize. Why are they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? What is wrong with those people? But how often is our first reaction when we see a problem to pray? To pray. To take it to the Lord. To pray about that situation and ask that God would would change that. God, he, he's been nailing me on this lately. Over and over again, it's like this same message. He's speaking to my heart. You know, you talk about the billboards. I mean, God, he's been doing that with me. Rob, pray. So I see these different things. You know, I can be so prone to complain or so prone to react on Monday, I was hanging out with my wife. That's the day that we kind of set aside to spend some time together because Saturday, usually I work most of the day, getting ready for Sundays and whatnot. And so Monday's kind of our time. And, and something came up Monday. She shared something with me that, that was a, a little problem. It wasn't even a big problem of something happening here, you know, in the fellowship. And, and it like ruined my day because it just sent me into this tailspin where right away it's like I'm just thinking about all the things that we need to do to take care of and change that problem. And so often that's my first reaction, to react. I think us guys were kind of that way. You know, we want to fix things. You know, we want to get in there. Okay, you know, we're going to make it right and we'll we'll fix it. Now, here's the thing. You get a couple people together who are reacting in that same kind of way. You know, it's like dynamite going off, you know, it can cause major, major problems. It can be scary. And really, it can be a mark of immaturity. And for most of us here tonight who I know have been in the Lord a while, I mean, you would think that we would be mature enough when we hear of such things that our first reaction would be to pray. David shows great restraint as well as wisdom here, being a man who is willing to be led by the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. I loved tonight in our little missions update, the word from Mark Schneider over in India as you know, he's there in India. They're doing an outdoor outreach. 400 people gather. It starts to rain and God tells him to pray. That the rain stops. And so he does. He prays and the rain stops, you know, and, and it's like, do we believe in the power of prayer? There's power in prayer. Our God, he wants us. He longs for us to pray. And and David here, he shows wisdom. He shows the mark of a man who's being led by the spirit and walking in the spirit is he prays his first reaction. He hears here's a need. And it's not just to jump in. It's not to criticize. It's not to try to take matters into his own hands and fix it. He prays. Lord, do you want me to do anything? 
Lord, do you want me to get involved in this? Lord, do you want me to go and attack? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. God gives David the okay. But then watch what happens. Verse three. But David's men said to him, look, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again. Here we see the third mark of a man walking in the spirit is that he's sensitive to those who are around him. He's sensitive to those who are around him. One of the things that I like to pray often, especially when I come you know, here to the church or when I'm starting my day, is Lord, give me your eyes and give me your heart. Because I know The Bible declares that my heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. I know the Bible declares that out of the abundance or or out of our heart comes things like murders and adulteries. And I know that that that's in my heart. And you know what? Sad to say that's in your heart, too. The Bible says that we're we're wicked. So I want the heart of Jesus. I want to see things through the eyes of Jesus. I want to have a sensitivity towards people who are around me. And and that's what we see in David here. He has this sensitivity to his men. David's men object here. They're not ready to get out into battle yet. They they feel like, hey, we're not ready to go and take on the, the Philistines. They're concerned. They're afraid. How is David going to respond? How would you respond in that type of situation? How would you respond when you feel like God has spoken to you about something? Husbands here and your wife is kind of like, I don't know. What's your response? How do you respond when that happens? What's your response when maybe you feel like God's spoken to you about something and somebody in the fellowship that's close to you says, I don't know. What's your response? How do you handle that? I think many of us would have been tempted to ramrod this thing through. To begin to criticize. David could have said to these guys, you know, you guys are being silly. You're acting like a bunch of sissies. Come on, let's go. God's given the okay. But he doesn't do that. Others might have been tempted to get ultra spiritual. You know, I heard from the Lord, guys. God talks to me, you know. Come on, are you going to argue with the voice of the Lord? Are you going to question my authority? David might have been tempted to do that type of thing. But all of those would have been huge mistakes for David. And he would have lost the respect of his men. And they might have gone into battle with no confidence in the Lord, which would have made them vulnerable for defeat. So what did David do? Look at verse 4 again. Then David inquired of the Lord once again. David says, okay. You guys don't feel right about this. Let me go and talk to the Lord again and make sure. He's being sensitive to the guys who are around him. You know, in my relationship with my wife, if we're praying about something and I feel that God has shown me and spoken to me, this is what we're to do, and she doesn't have a peace about it, you know what I do? I pray some more. We pray some more because, you see, I respect her walk with the Lord a bunch. I know God talks to her. And so if she has a check, if she doesn't have a peace and there's been a couple of times when she didn't have a peace about something and I said, oh, no, 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 I know. And I went ahead and did it anyway. You know what? And I I I found out I was wrong. And I regretted it. And some of those things turned into, you know, a thorn in my side for several months because I opened up the door to, you know, I I created a problem. Because I didn't heed, I didn't listen, I didn't take the, the sense to step back and go, wait a second, I know God speaks to my wife. And usually what what he does is he'll give her insight that matches what he's saying to me, or he'll say to her, you need to follow Rob in this. Or she'll get a sense of like, you know, I just don't feel like this is the Lord. And so we'll pray. And sometimes it's like, I'll I'll pray some more and feel like the Lord, you know, like I 
you know, didn't hear right. I'll look for that confirmation. I love with our leadership team here at the church that if we are not in full agreement on things that decisions that we are making and things that we are praying about, we don't go forward no matter how strongly some of us feel about something. If it's not unanimous, if we're not in full agreement, we don't go forward. And I like that because I know God speaks to those guys. He speaks to them. And I know if he can speak something to my heart or something to Steve's heart or something to Oscar's heart, that he can speak to the same thing to the rest of the guys. And so we don't go forward unless we are in full agreement. David is establishing himself here as a man of prayer. Not leaning on his own understanding, not pushing for his own way, but David inquires of the Lord again. And in my Bible, I have that word again underlined. Latter part of verse 4, it says, Then the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah, and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock. And so David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Now note, knowing that God was in this enabled them to fight with the greatest of confidence and God gave them the victory. That second confirmation helped immensely. We pick it up in verse 6. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. And so Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand. Here Saul's trying to get spiritual again in his flesh. For he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And when David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. And then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? And will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. David is further establishing himself as a man of prayer. He's seeking the Lord here concerning the situation. He's developing here a good pattern. He's developing here a good habit. And folks, this is something that we need to take heed to in our lives. Developing that habit, that routine of prayer. That in every situation, bringing it to the Lord, seeking the Lord's direction. And the Lord said, He will come down. And then David said, verse 12, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver you. Now, this is amazing to me. The Lord says to him, they will turn on you. These are the people he just rescued. The people he just rescued from the Philistines, the people who should have looked at him as their hero. Now Saul's coming. David says, is Saul going to come? And will the people deliver me? And God says, yes, they are going to deliver you into the hands of Saul. Now, those of you who are ministry minded, listen, this is common. People that you help, people that you reach out to, people that you minister to will turn on you at times. Not all of them, but some of them, they'll turn on you. They'll find fault with you. It comes with the territory. Now, I say this, I I, I say that because of this. For those of you who are ministry minded, those of you who are involved in ministry, you're leading home fellowships or whatever it might be. Understand this, that the temptation when this happens is to isolate yourself. The temptation when this happens, when somebody that you've been pouring your heart into suddenly, you know, doesn't want to have anything to do with you anymore. They turn on you. They find fault with you. The tendency is to say, I'm never going to do that again. I'm not going to make myself vulnerable anymore. That hurt too bad. Last time I got burned. I'm not going to let that happen again. Listen, listen close. That is the polar opposite reaction of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's the exact opposite of what he modeled and what he did. Think about it. He knew his disciples would forsake him. He knew that Peter would deny him. He knew that the people who in the beginning of the week were were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Some of them at the end of the week would be saying, crucify him. He knew that full well. He knew that the crowds that crowded around him at one particular time in abundance would, would move away from him. He knew that, and yet he loved and he gave anyway. And let me tell you this. You cannot be worried so much about being loved by people. You can't. Because sheep are fickle. They are. And you can't do that. And what is happening here to David, it happens to everyone at some particular time in ministry. It happens. It's part of the territory. And the fourth thing that we see here, the fourth mark of a man who's walking in the spirit is that he doesn't hold grudges. Later on, when David becomes king, he doesn't go back and take vengeance on Keilah. He doesn't get the troops together and say, you remember those guys that were going to turn me into Saul? Let's go show them a lesson. He doesn't do that. Listen, people will disappoint us. They'll let us down. They'll surprise you in the worst of ways. People that you look up to, people that you're ministering to, it doesn't matter. We're all sinners. People will disappoint. We need to get used to it and not come be, be overcome by it. I know some people who w- would be talking about this type of thing, that how they've been hurt by somebody for years. For years. And they hurt me. They did me wrong. Can you believe what those bozos and Kila did to us? I mean, some people, that's the way that they, for years they would be talking about this. But not David. He just moves on. Look at verse 13. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Kila and went wherever they could go. And then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Kila. So he halted. The expedition, but not for long. He halts, but not for long. Look at verse 14. It says, now David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day. Every day. Saul is relentless in his pursuit of David. And guys, I got to tell you, I want to remind you of this. Most of you know it. Our enemy, our foe, he's relentless. He's relentless in his pursuit of you and I. To bring us down. To see us be defeated. Saul's relentless every single day. He's going after David, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Paul declared we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. So David, verse 15, saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. And then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. I love this. To strengthen hands, the word strengthen means to fasten upon. It means to seize. It means to make strong. It means to repair. It means to fortify or to make valiant. This is what Jonathan did for David. This afternoon, after work, I went down to the beach to just pray, to spend some time with the Lord. And, you know, it was rainy, it was gloomy, it was cloudy. But you know what? Out there in the ocean, there was a break of sunlight. And it was just bright. Just, I mean, it was like piercingly bright. In the midst of clouds on both sides, there was just this break and and the sun was shining down on the water and the water was just glistening. That's what Jonathan's doing here for David. 
In the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the storm, clouds, you know, on both ends, people are dying. Saul is pursuing people that he's rescued. They're, they're turning their backs on him. And, and Jonathan comes and he's this, this ray of sunlight in David's life to strengthen his hands in the Lord. Now, consider what David did with his hands. Consider what David's hands were used for. David used those hands to fight for Israel. He used those hands to play, play an instrument for worship. He used those hands to write beautiful psalms of praise. And Jonathan wanted to be sure that David could do, could still do all those things. He strengthened his hands in the Lord. In other words, he strengthened David in his walk with the Lord. He came and encouraged him. And I ask you this question tonight. Are you one who strengthens people's hands in the Lord? When you leave a group of people that you've been around, do you leave them encouraged and inspired to use their gifts for Jesus? Do you inspire them in that way? That should be our desire. All of us. So what can we learn from Jonathan about strengthening others hands in the Lord? Well, notice verse 17 and it says, and he said to him, don't do not fear for the hand of Saul. My father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows this. And so the two of them made a covenant before the Lord and David stayed in the woods and Jonathan went to his own house. The first thing we see is that he reminded David of the Lord's promise with him. He says, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father shall not find you. He reminds David of the Lord's presence with him. David could reject fear because God would ultimately protect him. Saul, my father isn't going to find you. Jonathan was reminding David that that one with God is a majority. Jonathan was reminding David, God is with you. Paul said of you and I that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, 5 says, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. One of the greatest things that you and I can do to strengthen a brother or sister in difficult times, to strengthen them in the Lord, is to remind them of the Lord's presence with them. To remind them of his presence. It was J. Oswald Sanders who said, peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. That's what peace is. Not the absence of trouble. There's always going to be trouble in this world. Jesus said you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world and I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. Peace, not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. So Jonathan reminded David of the Lord's presence with him. The second thing that Jonathan did was to remind David of God's promise to him. He says, you shall be king over Israel. Listen, we are called to be Promise believers. I love that song we sang at the end of worship that talked about the promise of God. God has made abundant promises available to us. And we need to stand on those. But sometimes in the midst of our situation, the devil gets us to forget the promise of God. But in those times, especially we need to remember that our Lord is the God who keeps his promises. Here we are in the midst of a of a political you know, race. The election is 14 or 13 days away. And it's interesting because, you know, we hear the candidates saying things like they stand on their record. What does that mean? Well, you know what? My faith, our faith stands on the record of what God has done. Our faith stands on the record that that God is a God who keeps his promises. 
In John 20, verse 31, it says, these things are written that you may believe. God's given us his word. Faith is not inherited. You don't get it from your parents. It doesn't come through your wife or your husband. It's not inherited, but it comes. It doesn't come by accident. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And in that, we discover that our God is a God who keeps his promises. His promises are true. In the Chronicles of Narnia, that wonderful children's story written by C.S. Lewis, in the second book, Prince Caspian is uh, Lucy enters Narnia again, and she hasn't seen Aslan, the lion figure who represents Christ in, in, in quite a while. And she's not seen him in a long time. And so they have this wonderful reunion. And Lucy says to Aslan, who represents Christ, Aslan, you're bigger now. And Aslan says, Lucy, that's because you are older. He said, Lucy, every year that you grow, you will find me bigger. You know, the same thing should hold true for you and I in the Lord. As we, the longer that we walk with him, the more that we grow in him, the bigger he should get. Bigger in his grace, bigger in his goodness, bigger in his power, bigger in his faithfulness. The older that we get in the Lord, the bigger he should get to us, the more powerful and the more that we would understand that he keeps his promises and we can hold on to them. And sometimes, though, we just need a friend like Jonathan to come along and remind us of the bigness and the faithfulness of God. That's what Jonathan does here. The third thing that Jonathan did to strengthen David's hands in the Lord was to remind him of the Lord's power in his life. He said, look, my father, you're going to be king and my father knows this to be true. In other words, look, our God is bigger than my dad. Don't worry about him. It's a reminder of God's power and we need that reminder of God's power in our lives. God wants us to be Those who strengthen each other's hands in the Lord. In Hebrews, we're told to stir up one another to love and good works. The word stir up, it means to stimulate. It's like those paddles. On the thing, I can't remember the name of it, but when somebody, you know, they they lose consciousness. They think that they're dead and the paramedics, they take, you know, those things, they rub the, the paddles together and they boom. They hit that guy. What are they trying to do? They're trying to stimulate him. They're trying to get him going again. There's electrical currents that are flowing through those things that and they're they're trying to to spark something in that person. That's what the Lord wants us to do. As we seek to strengthen each other's hands in the Lord, to stir up one of this, to stimulate our faith. Are you the type of person who stimulates the faith of others that stirs them up in that way, that they leave your presence more on fire with the Lord than when they first were hanging out with you. I can say this tonight because she's not here. My wife, and she's not home watching the Red Sox beat the Yankees. Uh, Our daughter's sick, but... uh, Two Mondays ago, we went down to the beach just to go hang out, to spend some time. Took our Bibles and we're sitting there and we're just reading and we're talking. And she starts sharing with me the things that that God was showing her. And I got to tell you, I mean, I, I got jealous. I was like, man, that's deep. I didn't see that. I didn't get that out of that. And it so stirred me. I mean, I found myself just going, God, and you got to speak to me like that. She just stimulated my heart. Are you the type of person that stimulates your friends in that way? Think about your closest relationships. What are the key ingredients? What are the effects? Or what effect does the time that you spend together you know, the idea of stirring up 
also reminds us of what happens to coals in a fire. What happens when those coals are in the fire and you start to stir up? They get hotter. They get hotter. I pray that we'd be a stirred up church, stimulating one another to love Christ more, to serve Christ more, to know him more diligently. And to be people who forsake the world. That we might know the Lord. This would be the last time that Jonathan and David would see one another. And despite Jonathan's encouragement, the battle raged on. The situation, it didn't get any better. Saul would step up his efforts to bring David down. But although the battle became more fierce, I think I can say with confidence that David or Jonathan's encouragement, it stimulated David. It kept him going. In fact, later on, we're going to see a time, another dark moment in David's life where we're going to read in Second Samuel that David strengthened his own hands in the Lord. Same verbiage, same idea. Jonathan doing it to him here at this moment. And I think it carried over so that David, when Jonathan's gone, he's dead and gone. David is there and and he's able to do it for himself. Let's be those who stimulate each other in the Lord. Verse 19, and we're just going to read through the end of this. It says, Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds in the woods and in the hills of Hakaleah, which is on the south of Jezamon? Now, therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where he is uh, hiding out and who has seen him there. For I am told that he is crafty. See, therefore, and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you. And it shall be that if he is in the land that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. And so they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain on the south of Jezimon. And when Saul and his men went to seek him out, they told David, therefore, He went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. And then Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And so David made haste to get away from Saul. For Saul and his men were encircling David and, and his men to take them. But a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come for the Philistines have invaded the land. And therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. And so they called that place the rock of escape. And then David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds at En Gedi. And that's where we'll leave David. We'll pick up next week with him there in En Gedi. And we'll see as the Lord continues to work in his life. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And what a contrast, Lord, we see tonight of Saul, a man who. The picture of the a man walking in the flesh, the carnal man. But of David, that man walking in the spirit, that spiritual man. And Lord, we just thank you. For that picture and Lord, I pray that you would make us men and women of prayer like David. And Lord, you would make us those who would seek to strengthen each other's hands in the Lord, to stimulate each other to love and good works, to forsake the world and to love you with all of our hearts. Lord, may you have your way with us, we pray in Jesus name. Amen.